Hello and welcome to Midriff, the podcast about gender, music, and music gear. I am your host, Hillary Jones. So I went home and visited my family last week, which was really nice. And I mentioned a bit about that on Instagram. It was kind of weird, though, because, you know, there were sort of three things that were happening at once. So first there was this like heavy smoke everywhere from the Canadian wildfires for a good chunk of the trip, which made it like real hard to go outside. Then the lake that we often go to when I'm home was lower than I've ever seen, probably like a full two feet lower than normal, which was likely connected to a lack of rain they've had there. It's just not been raining. And this is like in North Dakota, Minnesota area. And of course, the pandemic was sort of like the icing on the cake and like constantly in the background. So it was like this weird thing of trying to relax and have a nice time with family who I hadn't seen in like two years while simultaneously having an existential crisis about the state of the world. It, it was fine. Just fine. <laughs> uh, it really it really was nice, I promise. <laughs> so upon returning, though, I made an interesting gear discovery, which is that when you have a modulation pedal, this is a, it feels like a sharp turn, but we're going to go with it. When you have a modulation pedal with no volume knob that makes your signal sound quieter, as they sometimes do, even if it's not actually quieter, it might just sound quieter to your ears, you can combat it by turning the input of your drive pedals down. So this Probably seems obvious, but I was workshopping it with some buddies at Empire Guitars a bit ago, and it actually took us a while to figure it out. But I have tried it, and it worked. Problem solved. And, you know, I guess maybe that might not work for you if you're somebody who actually plays clean sometimes. I do not. But if you are like me, it might work for you. So that's my hot tip for the week. (laughs) If you want your pedal to actually sound extra interesting, when you push it down instead of just disappearing, which sometimes it sounds like it is. All right, and last, but in no way least, I would like to acknowledge Lawler Pickups for renaming their blackface pickups to the 64 Strat. So for those of you who might not know, and I mentioned this a little bit in the jargon episode, blackface is a term used in the guitar community to identify basically like a particular era offender amplifier. So like highly desirable amps with a black control panel from like the mid 60s before they were bought out by CBS. And they're u- that term is usually contrasted with what is called a silver face or like silver panel or plate amps from the 70s or post CBS. CBS. And don't at me about <laughs> the exact dates or CBS because there's some overlap, but that's generally what it's used for. Sometimes You know, unfortunately, they also use a term called brown face. It's just, it's a whole thing. Anyway, this terminology has been used for years. And as someone who owns both black panel and silver panel or plate fender amps, it has always made me very uncomfortable. And I'm very excited about this shift. And I hope that other folks in the guitar community follow step and ship their language as well, because it is a real bummer. And I can't actually believe that it's gone on for this long. At some point, I was just like, does someone know something about this that I don't? Like, I I just, I guess I never understood the origins of it. So perhaps they do. All right, let's get into it for today. First, I want to thank Midriff's sponsors. We have Earthquaker Devices. Earthquaker continues to share videos about rad artists such as Molly Miller and go into 
you know, deep info about their functionality of their pedals, which I always personally find very useful. Specifically in the last week, their Warden compressor, which if you are still confused about how compressors work, as many are, this is a helpful primer. And uh, yeah, they're just very mysterious. I don't know. Uh, this week, they also dug into some hot tips about the Astral Destiny as well. So you can check that out. You can check out Earthquaker Devices and all of their red pedals handmade in Akron, Ohio at EarthquakerDevices.com. Up next, I will once again mention my buddies Adam and Jen up at Stompbox Sonic in Boston. Stompbox Sonic provides musicians with an extensive tonal palette for auditory exploration. Specializing in effects pedals, they offer a curated collection of companies large and small, some locally crafted, some assembled from around the world. Adam and Jen have been helping musicians and sound-based artists find their sound since 2009. By working collaboratively through one-on-one consultations, they do more than sell you a pedal. They ignite the creative spark to bring your music to life. They create a comfortable, judgment-free environment for all musicians where sonic experimentation is encouraged. I actually shared the pedal that they had uh, helped consult me into. Is that, I don't know. I'm going to say it that way. Uh, on my uh, Instagram page last last week, and uh, it was the Empress Heavy, which has been great for me. I was looking specifically for a metal pedal, and it was perfect. Very flexible, makes can make a wide range of different sounds. Perfect. Perfect. Nice job, team. If you are interested in consultation or you just want to see the cool, unique selection they have, check them out on social media or at StompboxSonic.com. All right, last but not least, we have a new sponsor, Holcomb Guitars. Nick Holcomb makes rad custom guitars in the style of your choosing. Uh, And if you remember my episode with Roz Raskin of Nova One, their main guitar is a Holcomb Custom, so you can get a little vibe for what that might be like. And if you need repair services in New England, he can help you out with that as well. He even has a mobile repair truck and will literally pick up and drop off at your doorstep. Or like, let's say you just need some, I don't know, need a truss rod adjustment. We'll do it in his van. <laughs> Come by to your house, adjust your truss rod in your van. And uh that's it. And and it is highly, highly convenient. Nick has done a number of projects for me, including, you know, you might remember back a minute ago, adding the Bigsby to my Fender Lead 2, which has been awesome. Recently fixed up my SG, whatever you need, he can make it happen for you. And if you've seen his Instagram feed, you know that you are supporting someone who actually shares your values, which if you're listening to this podcast, I imagine is something you probably care about. So give him a follow on Instagram at Holcomb Guitars or check out his website, HolcombGuitars.com for more info. These sponsors support the podcast and I hope you support them too. You can find links in the show notes to sponsors and to the Midriff Instagram and Facebook pages and website as well. Okay, so today's guest is Siad Wells, who is a classical guitarist who performs solo and as part of a duo called Duo Chirango, who runs a nonprofit called the Margins Guitar Collective, which supports a diverse and inclusive guitar community. And she hosts a podcast called Musically Cogitating, which is about the relevance and importance of living music and how it impacts our lives. Important to all of us, right? We had a great conversation and get into... 
everything from the differences between pop and rock and classical worlds with regards to diversity and inclusion and the ways that musicians often interact with nonprofit organizations and how that all works. It's a wide, wide range of conversations today, which was great. So and then you can stick around after the interview and I'll share a defense of sparkly guitars. There you have it. So with that, here's my interview with Siad. so much. So for folks who may not know you, can you introduce yourself, your name, pronouns, and a little bit about your background with music? Yes. So my name is Siad Wells. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I currently live and work in Austin, Texas. I am a guitar player, which is probably pretty obvious if you didn't already know. (laughs) And my background in music is like, you know, I started as a lot of people do or a lot of people used to kind of like in the the church space and I was in church choir and things like that and then I was in my elementary school's choir and band and then I got to high school and wanted to play the guitar and I haven't really looked back since so yeah that's my brief history of music and things that I've done yeah that was impressively brief you did a great job well Uh, thank you (laughs) Well, I mean, so I've been listening to your podcast because you also have a podcast. I do. And uh, and you go into some detail about that as well. Like you have a particular episode where you actually explain that. So if people want to like dig in about your whole like musical journey, there's a place you can do that, yes. which is on your podcast it called Musically Cogitating, which is Ow. a podcast about the relevance and importance of living and contemporary music of all kinds and about how that music impacts our lives. So it's basically just a time for me to talk about music kind of some some of the topics some of the topics are music or music adjacent right yeah exactly music or music adjacent is is really what it is and yeah it's been a lot of fun and I really really enjoy the podcasting medium so I've you have like another podcast I haven't actually listened to your other podcast yeah so that was a a limited ish run of a podcast about faith food and family it's called the faithful plate and it was a part of like a fellowship project that i was doing for people who are interested in farmed animal welfare and mm-hmm. i'm a vegetarian and so i'm interested in that. oh my oh my gosh okay <laughs> so, <laughs> so so it was about that and yeah and it's over for now and it might come back in the future it might not we'll see but, hey, podcasts are fun. There's so many things you can talk about in the world. Right, right. <laughs> if people want to start a podcast, you should do it. Yes, yes. It's been such a great experience. And I I think everyone should do it, at least for a little while. I think the yeah. barrier to starting a podcast is even lower to, than starting a YouTube channel. And so mm-hmm. I would say if 
anyone's interested, you know, do a blog and do a podcast first. Yeah. But that's totally. just, I think yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. And I think people oftentimes get, I think, you know, because we're talking to a lot of folks who are musicians, I feel like that make, it makes it a little bit easier if you already have some familiarity with recording. Right. But if you don't, I feel like it's a good step for me. Podcasting was a big, like, I'm going to learn how to record starting with podcast, just one mic. <laughs> and it worked. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there we go. And there are so um, many tools for mm-hmm. people who are interested in learning recording broadly, but also, you know, specifically for podcasting that I think are totally. really helpful. So. Totally. Yeah. So uh, one question I had for you uh, as you were growing up and getting into guitar. So you've spent a lot of time in choirs as well. Yes. What is it about choir, like singing versus playing guitar? Like what drew you in into guitar more than choir? I think like choir was fun, but I didn't always feel like I was the best singer. Mm. And while I enjoyed doing it, I just, I don't know. I was like, I'm not, I don't want to sing classical music. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to sing opera. I don't want to do any of that. Yeah. And yeah, I just didn't really want to keep doing it. I don't know. There isn't, there isn't like some, super I'm not, you don't have to have music. like a real, you know, sometimes you're just drawn in a particular direction, but it's yeah. like, I feel like you've done a lot of different instruments and I feel like a lot of people like they're like, you try out a lot of different things and then you find the thing that's the right thing. Right. Right. So I, I did choir and then I played uh, saxophone and well, before that I did piano. And so I, you know, I did the whole musical chairs, just trying to figure out what it was that I wanted, but the guitar is just cool. You know, like it's pretty cool it, in a way that all of those other things that I've tried and done are not. And I felt like it was the one that I could really, find my own place and voice and I feel like there was a community there for me although community is a contentious contentious topic for the guitar let's talk about community (laughs) shall we while we're here because you do talk about community a lot and the spaces that you're in so you're in predominantly a classical guitar space which yes is is not a space that I am super familiar with and like do you currently work for a guitar society or you yeah, did? I do. And so for folks who might not be familiar with guitar societies because they might not even know what that is, can you explain what that is? Yes. So I think in the classical music space broadly, there mm-hmm. are lots of different types of arts organizations. And there are ones that do music education and there are ones that do presenting and promoting of artists and they produce performances. And so a lot of instruments like flutes, they mm-hmm. have similar societies, but again, in the guitar society world, a lot of what they do is they do again, the education, and then they also do presenting. So they will produce concerts for their local communities. And so there's kind of like this circuit of guitar societies in the same way that there is a circuit of, you know, like clubs for, metal that people go on and you play there and there's a community there and it is a very small community it's very tight-knit community (laughs) a lot of that community comes out of academia which is Mm -hmm. um, which is in itself like a a problem with the community in my opinion but you know that's how that's how it is and that is a lot of how the guitar the classical guitar continues to kind of you know, like trudge along, I would say. Cool. So when you talk about community, 
what, and you're talking about the challenges of it. We're going to get into this more later, but like, what does that mean specifically for you? So like, what is community? And then what are some of the current challenges in that community for you? I think that community for me is right now, like a group of people who have a common interest. Mm-hmm. And I like to, I, I'm, I'm keeping it broad intentionally because sure. there are a lot of ways you can go with that. But the challenges in the guitar community are so vast, but I, I will say that <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to think of like, what is the, what are the few things that I really want to say? Um, Where to start really? Right, right. I think that the community has not been inclusive, which is probably the mm-hmm. most obvious one of the things. It's really difficult for somebody who didn't go to a certain kind of school, didn't have a certain kinds of privilege growing up, you know, any number of other factors for them to be a part of the community and for them to feel welcomed in the community. So the community is not inclusive. It's, it's very exclusive. It is not willing to change. It's pretty stagnant, I would say. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is going to be the downfall of the community eventually, maybe possibly, you know, I don't know, but if it doesn't change, then there, it won't continue to exist. Now, so I'm obviously, and as a person external to the classical world, you know, classical music is kind of steeped in a very specific tradition, yeah, which seems sort of like at, like that it would butt heads with the idea of change in the first place. Perhaps you have some thoughts about this. <laughs> I'm just throwing this out yes, here. No, I don't know. You were so right, right? <laughs> like in, I think in every art form, even even like contemporary pop music and stuff, there's like a canon, right? There's yeah. like these people who steer trends and who say what's correct. And there are these people who are kind of untouchable in a, mm-hmm. in a way. And it's the same way in classical music. There are people who are untouchable, who you can't say anything bad about, who are perfect in the eyes of, of people in the community, and they don't want for anything to change. They want to continue to stay the same, mostly so that the people at the top continue to stay at the top. And curious. And, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> hmm, interesting. Anyway. Yeah, and in and, and classical music, especially, and because that's my context mostly. Yeah. It is it's so visible. And there are people who are, you know, trying to change it. And I think some people are, you know, succeeding. But ultimately, I think personally, I've just come to the realization that that community is never going to (laughs) change and really be (laughs) and really be a place where myself and you know most of my friends feel like super comfortable so Mm -hmm. we're just going to have to create the community that yeah we want cool yeah and I will I want to talk about that community in a bit but let's let's do this I feel like I'm getting ahead of myself but I feel like I, we're like we're talking about community let's just do it but let's let's talk a little bit about more about you so folks can get to know oh, sure, a little sure. bit more about you so obviously this is a gear podcast so maybe let's talk a little bit about gear shall we so you obviously you're a guitarist yes. um, what are sort of the main tools that you are are using right now like do you have a particular guitar a couple of guitars that you lean towards yeah so I have a 2016 Stephen Walter guitar. Um, mm-hmm. It's cedar, and 
I think it has like rosewood back and sides mm-hmm. and it has a raised fretboard and I'll send you a picture so that you can, <laughs> so, that people, so that people can know, but that's a classical guitar and yeah. I play some mixture of nylon and carbon strings for that. Mostly Dario cause that's what I like, but mm-hmm. you know, that's a whole thing that people are interested in strings wise. Yeah. And yeah. what, so talk about carbon strings. Yeah. There's people like I said, it's a whole thing. There. <laughs> so if you know nylon, let's get strings, into it. Yeah. So if you know nylon strings, it, it's the yeah. same thing. I would. I like to think they're they're like a little bit of a, a step up in a way that for Ooh. for me they they sound louder. They have mm-hmm. a tone that I feel like sits well with my, my fingers, but also with my guitar. And yeah, I I, I think they sound better. A lot of people will be like, I hate those. And there are some issues with them too, because I don't know why this is a thing, but you know, we'll, I'll restrain my guitar and yeah. I'll open my case and they'll have slipped. And that's not something you want. Like, no, for <laughs> slipping, no. slip, especially on the classical guitar, the, the top of the guitar, right? The, the soundboard is super thin. Mm-hmm. And so you have to be really careful about not putting holes in your guitar, doing various activities. And so having a string slip is like one of the activities that puts a, that can put a hole in in your guitar. So yeah, but I like them and Mm -hmm. they work for me and I, I don't change my strings at any regular cadence. I'm just like, Oh, these are sounding scratchy. I'm going to change them, (laughs) which I should do this week. But I mean, I know people who change them, you know, every few days and that works for them. So not sure how yeah. they afford it, but that works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some people are really diligent about string changing. I don't, I mean, I, I, I try to do a good job, but like, unless I can do, it's like, it has to be noticeable. Right. Some people, I guess, just have really oily fingers. Right. Guess, yeah. Like more so than other people. So that's to be fair, you know? Right. Yeah. And I would say in the last uh, three ish years or so, I've really started to play more electric guitar. Mm-hmm. as well which has been a lot of fun and an interesting journey but i feel like gear wise i am still at the beginning of my uh, gear acquisition for the <laughs> electric guitar so uh-huh. uh, i have a squire telecaster it's nothing nothing fancy i'm planning to get a new guitar later this it's year it's a very it's a nice butterscotch though yeah it is it is and it's very pretty it gets the job done for what i'm doing yeah now (laughs) and (laughs) primarily i play with that the freeze pedal which is Mm, by mm um i forget who it's by yes yes yeah so a lot of the music that i've been doing and people who've been writing music for me is like yeah you need a drone you need to freeze so you have that i have a line six 500 hd 500x pod like the floor oh okay yep yeah so i've been playing that for for a while and it again it gets me what i need in terms yep. of sounds and things like that and another thing that i don't know if people are super familiar with is the ebo oh yeah 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 so yeah. a lot of ebo coming <laughs> <laughs> i like where this is going through. already so yes. <laughs> those are kind of like the, the primary tools and i don't i don't have uh, an amp of note or importance that is worthy of mentioning so yeah, but yeah, those are the kind line of the six. Tools. The line six. I'm not actually familiar with that line six. Is that like a? It's like a multi effects. Yeah. I saw in the picture a large piece, and I thought it was like a large Boss Looper, but maybe that was the the line six. It's the line six. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Yeah, 
great. Yeah, and I use a lot of the presets that are there because there's mm-hmm. so many. There's probably close to 100 and of like really wow. different sounds and things. And again, I'm I, I'm not I know enough about technology to you know like record a podcast and make a track sure. for a thing, but beyond that, I, I'm not super into oh, i'm gonna make this own preset and i'm gonna sell it and in all of those kinds yeah of things. yeah 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 um which yeah. is super cool but i just i don't have time for that right now, <laughs> quite, <laughs> right now. so it's not something that, that i fair. really spend a yeah. lot of time doing um but I, I hope to you know like be able to converse with the guitarists about you know the various like oh yeah i got that um that pod i got that stomp you know whatever <laughs> kind of yes. thing so <laughs> It's funny. I have a. I I was using the um the freeze pretty regularly for a while. Mine ended up breaking at some point or like not functioning the way I wanted it to. But it took me embarrassingly long to learn the thing where it's like if you double tap that it will stop the latch. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I I was like when I learned that it could do that. It was I had had it for at least a year, maybe two. It was. <laughs> That's a long time. I mean, I didn't. I mostly used the momentary, but it was like. It was embarrassing. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's why people read the manual. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. It, yeah. I I had that issue too. It, it didn't take me quite a year, but I definitely had to, <laughs> I definitely had to I was learn. like, it seems like it should have this this functionality. Weird. Yeah. I don't know. But it, it's one of those things that like it's interest it's it's really fun to play with because I'll just pick a note and then just let it go for, mm-hmm. for like twenty minutes and it gives the recording or the track a lot more just like bottom and mm-hmm. it doesn't feel empty. Cause I think when you're playing solo electric guitar or when I play with my duo partner, it's the two of us. Sometimes we still need something <laughs> in the, in yeah. the back there and we, we don't have yeah. it. So the pedal, the freeze pedal really can like help with like bringing some more body to it. Do you use the pedals with your classical setup as well? Or oh, no, no, no. Yeah, <laughs> that was my next question. <laughs> I, w- I would say so, that the the most kind of electronic thing that I've yeah. done with the classical guitar is using Max patches, Max MSP. Mm, I don't know. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. so I've tried to do that. And so yeah, there is this element of like guitar and electronics when and yeah. when people say that they are usually meaning classical guitar and electronics. And so there's these patches that are supposed to trigger sounds and sometimes they trigger visual elements so i've done a couple of pieces where that that is what is happening mm-hmm. and it's just a, it's it's a mess i'm gonna be honest it's, <laughs> it's a it, i've heard people talking about it and i've seen it being used i have no idea how it functions i don't like, either I get it sort of but like like very abstractly. <laughs> yeah, and and you know, yeah. you'll, I'll ask the you know whoever sent me the patch to who wrote the thing, and they're like, I don't know how this works either. And I'm like, okay, so <laughs> does anyone know does how anyone, this works? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, clear, no. I mean, literally, I no one knows how this works. You know, they, you can take classes on it um, from like and you know in school or just from yeah. other people, and no one seems to know how it works. So <laughs> it's a mystery. Yeah, I think luckily. I don't know. People are kind of moving away from it a little bit, which is good because uh-huh. no one knows what they're doing. So <laughs> that's hilarious. So, I, so oh, can you talk a little bit about your duo, actually? Yeah. So I am in a 
duo called Duo Chirango, and we are a classical guitar and electric guitar duo. And we have been together officially for, I guess, a little over two years. But uh, Jamie, my duo partner, and I have been friends since we met in Louisville, Kentucky, probably in like 2015 or so. So we've known each other for quite a while, and we're really good friends. And yeah, we we do the long distance duo band thing. Uh, yeah. It, how is that feeling right now? You're like, everybody's doing it right now. <laughs> right. It's it's fine. You know, it's it, it works. We've been able to continue to, like, make yeah. things, which has been the most important thing for right. us. So, yeah, it, it works. And I think we're going to – we have some stuff lined up for, for next mm-hmm. year already. Good. So, plus. So how much – so I guess when you're doing solo stuff – it's like you have a mixture of those two things that you're doing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, and we, we both do. So yeah. we're, we're really respectful of each other's kind of like other artistic pursuits and the ones that we want to pursue together. Yeah. And I think we're, since we're pretty good friends, we're, we're kind of like always on the same page about stuff, which is really nice. That is nice. And, <laughs> yeah. It could end poorly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Or you just get really good at like communicating, which is good too. <laughs> oh yeah, right, right. Yeah. So as far as like we we've dug into this a little bit already, I guess. But when you're thinking about like your experiences in music, and obviously like you're spending a lot of time talking about these issues related to like gender, to race, to intersectionality, like all of those things, representation, like how that works in the music world for you. Can you talk about where how that's popped up or what that's looked like in your experience? Yeah, I would say that I didn't really notice it for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it was because like I was younger and so I just wasn't paying attention. Yeah. <laughs> or I just felt like there were more, you know, like role models and there was more representation in what I was mm-hmm. doing. But I think as I started to, you know, go to college and really see what the classical guitar community was like especially i was like where where are the people that look mm-hmm. like me you know and i'm still kind of like where are the people that look like me and it's, <laughs> and it's it's definitely improved it has gotten so much better thanks to like lots of organizations yeah. and and just people who are are more visible and in a position to to be seen mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I think it just kind of crept up for me. Yeah, like in my college, like at the beginning of my college career, and I was like, "Oh, like this is not how it really mm-hmm. is." And I think it was also too. I just kind of thought like, "Oh, white guys play guitar, and that's like, <laughs> <laughs> like that's just what it is." Here we are. Yeah, yep. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Of course, and then some somewhere. In taking guitar lessons, I found out about Jimi Hendrix. So that was a whole, you know, there was a right. whole awakening and reckoning of like, who is this black man <laughs> playing the guitar? And, you know, but but he's so loved and so hated yeah. at the same time, you know, and, and, and all of that. So that was a thing. But it was still, you know, he's Jimi Hendrix and he's not playing classical guitar. So there was that sort of like, where is someone who's closer to yeah. me in terms of like the similar styles and things like that? Like, where are they for me? But, you know, well, it's interesting too, because I think, you know, the history of rock and roll versus like the history of classical is so different too, where it's like in, you know, we have similar problems in 
rock, but also like it's all appropriative. Like so, it's like it doesn't acknowledge its history. You know what I'm saying? So, it, but whereas like classical is like yeah, a different yeah. thing. Yeah, I don't know. I just sometimes I think about that. It's interesting to see how that functions, I guess. And as for like organizations, because like so, you have a a group called the Margins Collective, right? Oh yeah, I get, yeah, yeah, Margins. Yeah, Collective. so. So can you talk about that for a second, and then I'll come back. I'll, I'll whip back around to that question. Yeah, yeah. So the Modern Guitar Collective is this organization that I started like three or so years ago. And the mission is to create a diverse and inclusive guitar community. And that's really broad, like like most things that I do <laughs> are for, <laughs> for a reason. And that's because the goal isn't for this to be like this gaggle of classical guitarists who are just like, you know, doing whatever, but it's really I just, just like so thinking about anyone... gaggles of classical guitarists gaggling, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. doing their gaggles. Right. Yeah. Um, it's really so that like everyone and anyone who is, is looking for community and is looking for place to share their music and a place to express themselves can, can do mm-hmm. that. And I think in the, you know, like my background is classical and my friends do a lot of that. So for us, it's like, that's where we're starting from, but it's not really specific to that. And so the way that we do that and hope to do that in the future is through concerts. Um, So we've done like an in-person concert, but we've done several virtual kind of things as, Mm -hmm. as well in the past several months. And the, of course, continue to do concerts. Uh, I would love to do a lot of like recording. Mm -hmm. So recording projects and part of what we also do is commissioning. So in the classical contemporary music sphere or, you know, what you do is you commission someone to write you a piece of music. So you go to them and you say, Hey, I like the music that you've done in the past. Can you write me a piece of music? And then you pay them a fee and then they give you a piece mm-hmm. of music. And so I would like for us to continue doing that and for for there to be other people really deeply involved with that work. And so there's also kind of like a, a roster, a loose roster of artists. A gaggle, if you will. Who, <laughs> a, gaggle, yes. <laughs> a gaggle of artists who we are like committed to supporting. Mm-hmm. And helping create, you know, the art that they want to make and, and all of those kinds of things. And so, and you're not technically a nonprofit, you're fiscally sponsored, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we had talked a little bit before our conversation about nonprofits generally, because I ran a nonprofit for 10 years and you have uh, this organization and you work for a nonprofit. And so like lots of, lots lots of nonprofiting, which I feel like folks oftentimes see as like being sort of tangential to, you know, the conversations related to, uh, gender and race and ethnicity and gear and you know I but it isn't <laughs> because a lot of the times like people who are working for those you know people who are working for those spaces are oftentimes people who are invested as artists themselves in the community right yes. yeah and yeah. you know people who are coming up as musicians and who are like performing themselves are working there and so and they're also like helping to bring people in to perform so so it's not not related. And then also there's this other weird thing of like, who's paying for this? <laughs> yeah. And that 
is just a, this whole other thing, right? Because it's like, right, you know, somebody has to pay for it. Like nonprofits are nonprofits for a reason, which you had mentioned at one point in your podcast, something about like artists are existing in this space for a reason, right? Like people don't want to pay for it otherwise. And like if people paid artists, yes. we wouldn't need these nonprofits to do this <laughs> to some degree, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, and I stand, I stand by my <laughs> statement of like, you know, there's this idea that you will start a nonprofit and that people will suddenly give you money and that you will make your career as an artist that way or in whatever other way. But that's not, you know, nonprofits are not the promised land that we paint them to be. And like, too, and I felt this way until I started working and being more like involved in the behind the scenes of like a functioning nonprofit. Mm-hmm. So I feel like there are lots of nonprofits out there who are able to kind of just peter along because they have this one donor who is very generous. And that one donor also is really particular in what they want and they have a vision and an Mm -hmm. agenda for the Mm -hmm. organization. And so they've used this small organization, this small nonprofit who doesn't, you know, they don't have too much money and they need some help as a way to like push forth their agenda. They're like one pet project sort of. Yeah. 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 That's a, it's, it's a thing. And so I didn't really know that until I, you know, started getting more involved to these nonprofits and like reading books and like talking to people. And it's like, Oh, okay. This is, <laughs> this is how it really is. And yeah, someone has to pay for that. And so there's, there's, there's all of these different ways, right? Like a lot of people say that nonprofits are not businesses. And I, disagree i think they are businesses i think just the tax code is different for that business <laughs> but it's a business and in nonprofits, there there are lots of ways that they make income there's earned income which is like selling things and then there's unearned which is when people donate but or grants you know, people or, yeah or grant or, or grants yes or yes which usually falls yeah. into the so, yeah 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 so and there's lots of like nuance i guess in the where those kinds of gifts fall but broadly there's you know people who give you money for a service and then there's people who just theoretically give you money for the out of the good of their heart and it's not always out of the good of their heart (laughs) what (laughs) come on like you know like i said there's these people who have people have agendas and people give for reasons and you know, but it, it's not a perfect system. Right. Well, because so, and one of the reasons I was bringing this up is specifically in your podcast, you go into this book called Beyond the Nonprofit Industrial Complex. And I I had first read that book in like 2008 or something. I think I was working at like not even the current, the last nonprofit, not for Girls Rock that I was, I was working at, but this is before that. And it sort of like blew my mind open. So if this is something you're interested in, I highly recommend you check that or listen to the podcast because you have a good breakdown of it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it was was a long. But, but, you know, basically talking about the ways that, you know, nonprofit is like a flawed system based in capitalism and issues of oppression and with regard to both race and class and that rich people run everything. And mostly rich women. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah. That's my that's my quick summary. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the, I mean that's that's the book with with just a lot of yeah. detail. <laughs> yeah. And it's it, it's interesting because I think that people think that like it's like this magical wonderland where everybody's doing great things all the time, but there the, some the systems replicate themselves no matter where you are. 
basically is part of right. the, the moral right. of the story. Yeah. And I'm I'm sure that they're probably I think there are a lot of like music nonprofits out there that people don't realize are nonprofits probably. Yeah. And they're like, Oh, this is just a cool place. And they're not a nonprofit. And they, they might think of like nonprofits as being like orchestras, which, which are, but they're also businesses. And there, there's some bands out there. I'm sure who are nonprofits. You just don't. Right. Don't or know. have nonprofit wings or whatever. Yeah. Wings. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and people, people have those wings or extensions of, of their businesses, nonprofits for, various reasons yeah some some good and some not good but you know that's kind of part for the course yeah and i think part of it is like and you touched on this a little bit and just a second ago is like that it can get to this thing where it's like the idea of like mission creep right where it's like because oh gosh, you have yeah. this yeah. this like let, let's say it's this a company who only wants to give to this one thing so sometimes it's like we'll only give you instruments or we'll only pay for like a performance or we're all we'll only do this whatever very we'll only do this performance on this particular week of this this month uh and it has to be using uh five guitars and not seven uh you know it's like so specific and you know like that may or may not be in a particular organizations like strategic plan or program plan or whatever the thing might be but they're like boy do we need some money and so they're like we'll apply for that and and then they get it and then they end up having to restructure everything they were doing because of that money um when then they have to report yeah. back on oh, the money to this group because they're like did you spend our money the exact way you didn't get seven guitars did you uh, or three guitars that were of equal price it's just like this like bureaucracy that's involved that makes it almost not worth it yeah and i see oh my gosh mission creep i see this so much with all nonprofits. It, i the the idea that there's oh well we found this twenty five thousand dollar grant and um well we just need to apply just to see and if they give us the money then we'll create an entirely new program of something that we don't do and don't, and don't have the do. capacity to do if you don't and pay don't for, the, capacity to do. for the overhead anyway <laughs> yes, yeah and and i i mean i think most people i, I don't know it's not a big deal it, it doesn't really matter if people agree with me or not but in the classical guitar community i think this is really really an issue of like there being a, a, a presenting organization who is like okay well we we need money what are we going to do we're going to start an education mm -hmm. program and because there's money yeah. in that, right? There, there are companies, you know, the ones that are hanging out at Nam, mm -hmm. who are like, you know, we'll give you money if you if you show off our instruments to this group yeah. of people and give it, put it in kids' hands and take yeah. pictures. And I think if your organization is like wanting to have an education program, then do that, but don't start it because there's money in it. Yeah. Yes. And then on the company side. It's like, I, I have so many thoughts about this, like, <laughs> you know, because like companies want, it's, they want their name on things and they want to have some control over what they're doing, which is within this very particular purview. Right. And it's great that companies want to have, you know, so I think some companies legitimately want to do this. And then sometimes it's more of a PR yeah, yeah. thing and it right. depends on the company, but it's so much of if you spend any time in a nonprofit space, and I promise I'm not going to talk about this for that much longer, but I just, <laughs> I think this is important for folks to know. It's like, if you work in a nonprofit, you, most grants will not pay for things like 
the actual yeah. space that you're working in. They won't pay for salaries. They won't pay for any of that. They're like, we will literally pay for your paper for the program. <laughs> and any, you know, like artists that you're hiring specifically for this one thing. But like, we won't pay for the anybody that is involved in administrating it or like whatever the thing might be, communications around, you know, it just, it's, it makes it really hard to actually do the work um, because people are spending so much time trying to figure out how to like, run this program or like apply for another grant or apply for another whatever thing when it's like it would make it so much easier to just trust whoever's doing the work assuming that you trust this organization in the first place enough to give them money just give them the money (laughs) let them do what they need to do with it I know you're on board you were speaking yeah yeah I mean you're speaking my language here and I think it is important for all of us musicians and artists and gearheads to like understand it like to know a little bit about this because you will definitely encounter an organization, a nonprofit in your career at, at some point, whether they're asking you to come teach or asking you to give a concert or there are like nonprofit record labels mm-hmm. out there and, and stuff like that. So I think it's important to, to just be aware that of what the different types of like businesses and business models. Cause again, I think it's a business model. Yeah. Um, nonprofits are that that are out there and how to how to navigate them as someone who is like trying to have a career in music right Right. and 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 figuring out like how how that fits in with you if you're for example working for a nonprofit as like a uh, if you're doing lessons or whatever like what that looks like what their back end looks like Mm -hmm. or um, if you decide to take an administration job and then you're work you know doing your music, you know, outside of that or whatever the thing might be. Right. right? So there's all those things. And then on the other side, it's like recognizing the ways that companies support the, or individual artists support nonprofits. Right. So it's on both sides. Yeah. Yeah. For us, like I know everybody, so Taylor Swift had a house here. I think she still does uh, in Rhode Island. And so everybody was just like, I'm sure you get this all the time in Austin. Everybody's like, well, if we could just, somebody must know Taylor Swift and oh my gosh yes every day like so just like like this one magical mystical white person who's going to give you the money and then you have to do whatever Taylor Swift says forever uh (laughs) so anyway (laughs) but yeah yeah our current uh our current one is Elon Musk Uh, in 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 Austin by the way just just so you know right 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 Yes. Yeah. So it might not be a musician. Well, I guess Grimes is in there in the mix there, but you know, <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> but yeah, it might not even be a musician. It might just be insert random rich white person in there. Anyway. Yeah. And it's, it's so interesting too, because music used to be like that, right? Like patronage used yeah. to be a thing mm-hmm. where, and, and kind of, we still have yeah. that, right? We have, I don't even, I don't know if this is controversial or not, but Patreon, it's like yeah. the same yeah. idea of like someone is your patron and they support your art mm-hmm. and now they just do it on the internet and they get like exclusive things yeah. <laughs> sometimes for, for doing it. But patronage is like, it's a part of the artist's career right. and it comes in different forms, but you know, it, it, it is a little grimy to think about these rich <laughs> mostly white people who are just like not always giving out of the goodness of their heart, but you know, it's kind of like the, like, you know, Obama model of fundraising, like everybody give me, you know, everybody doing $10 versus like, you know, you have this like large scale support versus just like, you know, the ownership of one person, which is interesting. And I think the Patreon model, obviously, because it's at such a 
you know, generally a much smaller amount, I feel like feels more like that, but it's right. It, it's not, it's not, not that <laughs> because there's still people are still <laughs> paying you. Uh, and so you have to right. do to some degree, you have to do what they want. <laughs> right. Right. And yeah. You have to commit to whatever, whatever you said you're going yeah. to do. And, and again, and that's not a bad sure. thing. Like, we all need support for our projects. Yeah, not, I'm not our, saying anyone not, not to work. contribute to anyone's Patreon. You should contribute to anybody's right. Patreon you that, definitely, you, that you think is yes. doing good work. But anyway. Right, right. Yeah. But just, you know, there's all these different models and there's all these different yeah. ways and they all have strings. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it's it's interesting because there are just like, you know, if, if people were able to get paid in a, in a more regular, I'm using air quotes, like fashion for their work like that. I mean, in some ways it is kind of the same thing. Like they're paying you for a service in that way. Right. So it's, if we're coming back to capitalism, that's where we're at. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> so anyway, and I don't, I, yeah, I think a, a lot about, you know, like what is the future of this and what is the vision? We we're always saying like, people don't value mm-hmm. art and I think people do value art. I just don't think that, they're always in a position to pay for yeah. it maybe <laughs> but but that's what, but we also like we want to continue to make the art so we need to be paid to do it right. so so I, I don't know i mean and then i don't know that people probably don't love when i use the example of like really famous musicians but like people value their mm-hmm. art <laughs> so people do value yeah. art and you know just maybe that we haven't done a great job of you know spreading the wealth <laughs> bringing that back to the point of like, if it was valued in the same way that other things were, you wouldn't have to have a nonprofit to do it. Oh, to yeah, your point, no, I guess. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we talked a little bit, obviously, we're talking about nonprofit spaces. We talked about Margins Collection uh, Collective. You know, other, other spaces within music, like whether you're, like when you go to buy an instrument, like what has your experience been like in those types of spaces or like recording or performing or whatever? Like thinking specifically to to buying things, I I think my experiences have not been great, and I feel like it's because I feel like I don't know a lot about mm. gear in mm. general, and so you know when you go to a place, it's you feel insecure going into the place, going into the store, but then also the person who's helping you is automatically profiling you yeah. and and not thinking like that you know what you're talking about. Yeah. And so it just, it just makes the experience not good and not positive right. at all. So, uh, yeah, I buy online a lot and, and do and watch a lot of videos and like, like we all do, and, <laughs> and, 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 you know, like try to talk to as few people as possible uh-huh. when make, when making a purchase so that there's no like weirdness yeah. or, yeah. you know, just bad, bad vibes coming from that. Well, it's, it, it's like that self-perpetuating thing to some degree. You're like, well, I, feel bad that I don't know enough about gear, but also I don't want to go in there and have them tell me that I don't know what I'm talking about. So it's like, right. you know, it, yeah, it's bad. <laughs> yeah. And I, and this also, it, it makes me think of how do people learn about this stuff? I have yeah. no idea because yeah, like Jamie and I, you know, we, we know a little bit about electric guitar, but we, we have like all this experience in the classical right. guitar but you, I could never ask my guitar, my classical guitar teacher about anything beyond guitar strings right. being as gear, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, or, or the guitar, yeah. but you know, like the actual guitars, but you, you can't do that. So it's like, where do you learn about this stuff? And I guess it's like, you know, being in community with people and, and I don't know, I guess there used to be books. 
about what? these kinds of things. books. <laughs> I've only books. heard of YouTube. Yeah, books and DVDs and manuals and things like that where they, you know, but it's like, how do you learn about this stuff? Yeah. And I guess the answer is just like osmosis. <laughs> you just, you just kind of sit, like, stand in its realm and it will might somehow get in your brain. Yeah, it's like I don't I don't know how you learned about this stuff. Like all these people are saying these words about like I don't know, ohms and <laughs> yes. amps and you know, just like this uh tone tone bleed mm-hmm. and I'm just like mm-hmm. what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Yes. So yeah, it's a lot of jargon for sure. So much. Yeah. And it's like a, and it's so it's so weird to feel intimidated by the use of jargon when you know right. a lot of jargon. Like, <laughs> let me tell you about other jargon that you don't know about. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that in in this space, like that's one thing that I think social media helps helps mm-hmm. with that it is like being able to share and disseminate information in spaces where people feel comfortable, like this podcast. Or, like, various, like, magazines and things like yeah. that, like, online spaces. So, I think they, they help with that knowledge acquisition. Yeah. But my experience in gaining said acquisition has not been great. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're all learning. Now, I think that's, I think just normalizing learning is, like, so important to me. I think that if people would just stop posturing, that we would be in a better spot. <laughs> just as a culture yeah yeah and if and if when we're say saying that we're learning you know not being hard on someone for not knowing what they don't know like no i don't i don't know this that's why i'm asking you that's why i'm telling you yeah i'm trusting you to treat me as a respectful person in the world who uh you know deserves to have knowledge in a non-condescending way (laughs) right that's what that means i'm trusting you person to 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 do this well you can do it i I believe Uh, all right so so you're talking about like space and community like oh yeah what does it what does it feel like to you to feel like belonging in a space i think it feels like when i go into a space that i don't feel like i'm the only Mm -hmm. Right. So I don't feel immediately like I'm the only queer person there. I don't feel immediately like I'm the only black person there. I don't feel immediately like I'm, you know, whatever other identity that I hold there. And sure, it might be that I I am that only person, but it doesn't feel that way immediately. And there's a there's a big difference of walking into a space where people share a lot of your identities and you you don't really think twice about Mm -hmm. it and then when you go into a space where it's the opposite where like you're like oh i'm the only one here i'm just gonna slowly back away (laughs) back out of this room and never come back (laughs) just slowly backwards walk out of here yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and you have to make a decision at some point of of like okay what do i really want to do here do I want to try to make change in this space? Do I want to not, not do I want to, but am I, am I for a short period of time willing to be the only so that when someone else comes into this room through that door, that they are not the only, am I willing to stick it out that much? You know, what am I willing to fight for and and all of those kinds of things? And sometimes it's worth it. 
and sometimes it's not sometimes you are that person and sometimes you're not and you have to kind of decide you know what's going to work for you at that time and what feels comfortable and what are you willing to sacrifice isn't the right word but just like what are you willing to give yeah. up and <laughs> in, in order to to make this space more comfortable for people in the future yeah I think that's a really good I think that's a lot of the like the weighing of that like how much mm-hmm. <laughs> at what point what's the tipping point where I'm like I'm out <laughs> and what point are you like right I right. really want this space to change and I'm willing to deal with whatever repercussions there might be for my personhood in that time um, right yeah and just and like being an artist is a long game it's such a long mm-hmm. game and so in the same way that like deciding that you're going to pursue a career as an artist, deciding that you're going to, you know, want to make some kind of change is a long game. And it's just going to take a really, really, really long time. Yeah. Un- unfortunately. Well, <laughs> as long as we're working together, hopefully we can uh, speed things up a little bit. That's the hope. Yeah. Right. Yes. So yes. on that point, for folks in the industry, what are some things that they could do if they went to you specifically and they said, like, what can we do to make change, to make it better for folks? What would you say? I would say the first thing I'm going to say is paying people. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, compensating people for their time eventually allows people to be artists more full time or at least to make to make some sort of like living uh, enough off of their art. So I would say definitely paying artists and compensating them you know fairly and honestly and appropriately and on time Mm -hmm. is really something that we should all be focused on I would say another thing is changing your expectations and not thinking that everyone is going to be the same and measure up to every other person but seeing every artist or person you see on social media on instagram like as their own person Mm -hmm. and and supporting them and highlighting them and lifting them up as that person Mm -hmm. and also defending that person when someone says something bad about Mm -hmm. them whether or not that other person is in the room or not is is really important because you might pick an artist who some people are like they're not that great and you know you as a a company as a friend saying like no we believe in this person and their art and what they have to do and so you know you can just go up there (laughs) but but this person is going to continue to stay and to be a part of the work that we support as like a company or whatever totally cool those are, uh, I think, some hot tips for folks, <laughs> for sure. So, as we're kind of closing up here, is there anything that we didn't get into that you want to that you'd like to talk, cover? No, I think we we've covered it all, and I just want to say much gratitude to you for creating this podcast and this space and inviting me. But you know, also like having all of these conversations with really wonderful people and making it feel like oh like okay there are people out here like me like doing you know like who are just like interested in the same things but who are like super cool you know you're super cool oh thank you (laughs) I've, i've found like in the last 
I don't know, a couple of years that there's just some really great people in the world and the way that you find them is on the internet. Mm-hmm. And it's, so it's, it's always like really nice to find people and like see people and be like, this is just so good. Oh my yeah, gosh. Well, it's, I mean, that was what it was too. When I, when I, I don't even remember how I originally found you, but, but it was on the internet and, and I was like, oh, <laughs> like, this is like, a, this is like, you're doing this thing in this other space. That's like kind of the same thing, but like sort of tangential, but like very connected in so many different ways. Um, and so I was super, super excited. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so for folks um, who might want to, you know, stay in contact with you, can you give them the best place to stay in contact with you? And then also, like, if you have anything upcoming that you want to tell folks about? Yeah. So the best way to get in contact with me is probably Instagram. Um, and I'm just at C. Oddwell, so my first and last name on there. And uh, I have a website where you can like send me an email also. So I just have like a contact form there and that'll come to my inbox. So those are the two best ways to get in contact with me. And I don't know that I have anything um, particularly special coming up aside from, you know, my podcast comes out every other Wednesday. So, so uh, if you're interested in just broad music topics and hearing me, and my guests talk about nonprofits and art and all that kind of stuff. You should definitely check that out. Yes, for sure. Cool. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today. This has been really fun. And we're just going to continue to talk about nonprofit stuff after this forever. (laughs) 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 But yeah, this is really great. And um, hoping to connect again soon. Yes. Thank you. I had such a great time talking with Siad. Definitely check out the Margins Guitar Collective and all of her other cool stuff that she's doing by links in the show notes. So much good stuff. So frequently, anything considered feminine in our culture is devalued. This goes for essentially any sort of pop music, for fashion, shopping, crafting, quote unquote chick flicks, romance novels, and the like. This also goes for gear, right? So on the podcast, the topic of Daisy Rock or other like sparkly or pink guitars targeted at women has come up frequently and most of the time negatively, right? The issue noted by most folks, which I totally agree with, is that not all women want sparkly or pink guitars. And that is 100% true. Some folks do, some folks don't. And I discussed the devaluing of feminine quote-unquote, pursuits via the feminization of jobs in a previous episode, and uh, also a little bit around the Music Gear Bechtel test as well. So if you want to, you know, listen to some more about that, you can. But there's another piece of this puzzle that I want to cover as well, or perhaps maybe hold up as evidence for the problem. So I follow a number of boutique guitar companies on my Instagram feed, some of whom do just beautiful, like entrancing sparkle finishes. Like I cannot stop looking at them. They are like drool worthy. They're beautiful. Uh, Companies like Built, Novo, Walsh, and other similar companies. Even recent guest Mankato Guitars has a beautiful sparkle guitar that is like, I can't stop looking at and actually made me want to get one from them, uh, even though mine will not be sparkly. (laughs) But I will say not infrequently, posts of these highly sparkly, sparkled guitars are more popular with more like views, likes, comments than their other models. While, you know, they may exist, never have I ever 
seen something to the effect of like, that's a cool guitar for a girl. Never. I've just not seen it. Uh, you know, it may be that, you know, what I've seen more often is something along the lines of like a comment that's like hashtag guitar porn or like the water splash gush emoji. You know what I'm talking about that makes me kind of want to puke. But that's that's a conversation for another day. But <laughs> that's more likely to be the response than like, oh, that's cool guitar for a girl. My point here is the major difference between these guitars and, say, a Daisy Rock is that, first of all, it is custom built and expensive. And two, it was not marketed towards girls and women. Of course, there is a difference between these guitars quality wise, right? Uh, you know, but Daisy Rocks are almost never devalued for their quality, which I realize ranges from their like entry level to or pro level lines. And, you know, traditionally, they have been devalued instead because of their aesthetics and for the fact that they were made for girls and women, when quality-wise, they really aren't that different from most other import brands, right? So, of course, as someone who is the target of this marketing, I do not believe that I should have to have a company exclusively marketing towards me with guitars with traditionally feminine aesthetics. That's not what it's about. In fact, I find it actually really distasteful when I feel like I'm being pandered to in that way, as most folks do, I think. But I also don't think that instruments should be devalued simply because of those aesthetics or because of their target audience. All musicians should have aesthetic options, and those aesthetic options should not be tied to their value based on gender, right? All right. Something I've been thinking about a lot. Uh, and, you know, I recognize that Daisy Rock guitars, you know, they had the heart-shaped guitars or, you know, daisy-shaped guitars, and that's part of it. But I feel like the sparkle, the sparkle portion of this is not to be uh, discounted, right? Like, there are many, you know, Paisley guitars, for example. Nobody's ever liked those Paisley Fenders. I mean, maybe some people are, but most of the time I see positive comments um, related to that. And so it makes me think that it's more about who the guitar is for than, you know, specifically what it looks like. So if you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts so more folks hear about it. And please reach out and connect via Instagram at Midriff Podcast or via my website, hillarybjones.com. So thanks for listening.